Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 66. When we're six and we would be the devil's number. <laughs> Watch out. Get evil over here. Ow. Yeah. Welcome How? back, everybody. How was your week, Jen? Um, pretty much almost exactly the same as the week before. <laughs> Although we did do some fun Labor Day stuff. You and I and our families, we went to um, a park. Yeah. <laughs> I I can't remember the name of that park. Cochrane Mill Park. Me. I just remembered it. Cochrane Mill Park. And there's like, it's cool. There's like hiking and and um, slides, like rock slides and stuff. I, I was telling my friends at Dr. Dude fucking Grace, I was like, yeah, we went to this really pretty park. It was beautiful. There were rock slides. And they were like, what the fuck are rock slides? I was like, they're like rocks like big rock slabs like in a river and they're like you've been in georgia too long that you just were like oh rock slides i was like i don't know it's a thing i never knew what a rock slide was until i moved to georgia that's what it is and i still don't partake i watch i watch everybody (laughs) else do it it looks fun but i don't do it myself because i don't trust the river My kids can go in it, sure. <laughs> right, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> like, send your four-year-old down there, but, but not for me. <laughs> Shifty river. No, thank you. I told Sally and Ben, because uh, they're such outdoorsy people, obviously, they both hiked the Appalachian, but I was telling them when I was there, I was like, I like to look at nature. <laughs> I don't like to touch it with you're my like, hands. I don't, I don't I like, like lake water. <laughs> I like to be near it, but not in it, per se. (laughs) I don't trust lake water, and I don't trust river water. (laughs) I know. You kept kept being like, kids, close your mouths. (laughs) Close your mouths. (laughs) Don't swallow that dirty lake water. I know. Like, stop talking to each other. (laughs) Fluid is getting inside. I just, I don't know. I just read so many art. There have been. It's not just that I've, like... I'm making this shit up, but there there are like brain eating amoebas and people that have gotten these kind of parasites from lakes and stuff. No, you're right. Freaks me out. It's it's I true. I don't trust it. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't drink it. Oh man, I love it. Should we do but some quickies? Let's do some quickies. Let's do it. All right, I think I'm first, yo. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said yo, but. It felt right. You follow your and, bliss. And then it felt wrong. <laughs> okay. So I found this Board Panda article about a bridezilla. And I know that is like not – that's like an offensive term. Like I, there are 
Both sides. Groomzillas. Yes. Bride and bridezillas, groom and groomzillas, (laughs) whoever you want to be. People get crazy at weddings, but I found this one. There have been a couple of these where somebody has like sent out an invitation or like a message to their wedding party that has gone viral because they're so ridiculous. Uh And um, this one made me laugh really hard, mostly because of the follow-up to it. So okay, just got to read it to you. I'm intrigued. Okay, so this was a message that a bride-to-be sent to everyone who was invited to her wedding. So it says, hey, everyone, who's ready for Hawaii 2019? In anticipation of the wedding, and believe me, I know it's a long way away, but, and then ring emoji, ring emoji, ring emoji, I would still like to announce the dress code. I'm giving you long notice of a year and a half so that you will have time to find and pick out something nice. The dress code is very specific because it will be used to create an incredible visual effect. If done right, it will make our synchronized dancing along the beach really pop. So. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Busy that day. Decline. Without further ado. Okay, so she has them in categories. So the first category is... Women, 100 to 160 pounds. Green velvet sweater, orange suede pants, Louis Vuitton heels, the famous red-heeled shoes. When we spin and lift our feet, the effect will amaze you. Burberry scarf. What? Men who are 100 to 200 pounds. Purple fuzzy jacket, soda hat, all white trainers, plain glow sticks. This is a fucking joke. (laughs) Women 160 pounds plus all black sweater and pants, any material, black heels. Men 200 pounds plus all camouflage, black sneakers. Children, red from head to toe. Remember, the kids will form the shape of the heart. It needs to be true red, not blood orange or some bullshit. (laughs) Additionally, we will require that you wear formal attire after the dancing is ended. Please bring a change of clothing. Remember, the... Venue is extremely upscale, and we want to be looking our absolute best ladies and gents. Please, if you look like trash, so will we. All jokes aside, we want you to invest in an outfit valued at at least $1,000. You have a year and a half to get working. No excuses. Mwah. Kissy emoji. Oh, my God. Like, the Louboutins alone are, like, at least, what are they? I don't I don't buy them. I don't. I'm assuming, like, 500 I mean, $1,000? I mean, I think I, if Sex and the City taught me anything, extensive. They're, yeah. I think in, in Sex and the City days, I think they were around $400 a pair. But these days, inflation, I would assume they're going to be more around like 600 to 1000 <laughs> I don't know. But anyway. Know. But, but still, anyway. that's insane. And it's pretty – so – um, somebody who got this posted it to a Facebook group and it went viral, of course. Of course. And then all these people like made these like renderings of what these outfits would actually look like. And and they're pretty funny. We'll have to post one of those. Some One person did it with a sketch drawing of each person. And it's like normal guests, children, fat guests. If you're coming, you don't have to, but I guess you can. <laughs> Just like faded in the background in camo and all Aww. black. Okay. So then she gets wind of this. So it's like, hello, invitees. A very important update. Please read. It has come to my attention that someone went all the way down in this group's creation to screenshot the dress code requirements. 
Um, so blah, 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 blah. And then she goes, and therefore I'm announcing one of the uni- most unique parties you will ever be invited to in your life besides my actual wedding. In honor of the snitch who sold me out, I will be hosting the first ever polygraph party at my house this Saturday, 8 p.m. And then she goes on to say that like we got a polygraph machine and if you don't come, I will – you'll be um, – Uninvited. Like basically like I'm going to assume you're guilty. Oh, my and she says, God. If anybody has any information – then I will give you $100. And then it says, next, if you're Hannah happy with the dress code requirements, it's okay. You can come talk to me instead of participating in the dance. You can help the crew clean up after dinner, <gasps> volunteer to take videos of our dance, or even contribute to the honeymoon. Anything counts. Who <laughs> is marrying this nightmare? I know. So then she says, my husband and I are certified spiritual healers with oh. over 10 years of experience. <laughs> You all know this. Our wedding colors, fabrics, intimate synchronized and intimate synchronized dance are something we hold very dear. This expensive clothing represents the riches we wish to come. So she says she's, we met at a psychic's desensitization chamber over twelve years ago in Italy. As you all know, of course, we bring they our did. tradition and beliefs into our marriage. Would you show up at an Indian person's wedding and make fun of their culture and tradition? If not, don't judge ours. Anyway, I'm so tired having to explain myself over and over. Please keep me updated. <laughs> oh my god! But man, that just that just really made me laugh today. So, right, so the wedding is supposed to be a year and a half from 2019. So it hasn't happened yet. No, it was supposed. It was supposed to be in 2019. I don't know oh. if it actually happened. Dude, no I update. would definitely not be going to that <laughs> wedding, and I wouldn't, even if I was related to her. Like, fuck y'all. <laughs> Dude, oh, she just sounds like a total nightmare. Yeah, um, I just, the entitlement, man, that's great. <laughs> Plus, like, I would like to see renderings of what this outfit would look like, because it sounds like an Austin Powers costume. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll post pictures of these, you know, like in magazines where it'll show like, oh, this is what you pair this with this with this. Like somebody did one of those for right. it. And it's so ugly. All of them are just so awful. Ugh. Okay. Are you ready for another quickie? You know, I am. Okay. So this quickie is also, you know, a wedding quickie and even more so. My favorite kind of wedding quickies. This oh, is, is it a crazy wedding. Weird wedding. <laughs> it's a nice day for a weird, weird wedding. wedding. Yes. Day. This is All a right. weird wedding. My information came from an article for the mirror by Liliana Jacob and an article for the sun written by April Roach. And this was um, back in January of 2020 was when these articles were written. So, okay. A woman named Michelle Kobka. Kobka? It's it's German, and it's got the little things over the O's. No, don't know anything about it. I'm going to say Michelle Kobka from Berlin, Germany, is planning to wed the Boeing 737-800. She calls – it's her jumbo jet lover – that she has been dating for six years, and she refers to the jumbo jet as darling. And they are excited to finally get married in what she hopes will be an intimate affair in the Netherlands. I'm going to guess it's going to be pretty intimate. 
I'm not uh, sure who's going to that wedding. Yes. So 30-year-old Michelle met the love of her life in March of 2014. So this is a long relationship. When she was at the Berlin <laughs> Tegel Airport, and she has even nicknamed the 737-800 Schatz, which translates in German to darling. She said that she was immediately attracted to its wings, winglets, and thrusters. <laughs> oh, we know what you're talking about. Yeah. We'll just love a thruster. <laughs> and after six years of only being able to meet the plane through the glass window at the airport, she was finally able to kiss this 40-ton jet and stand on one of its wings in September of 2019. I guess like years and years of begging, they were finally like, oh, just go in there. <laughs> go. <laughs> it's really funny because I'm going to post on our Patreon, a, there's a video from the New York Post that shows her like getting to go see this plane and um, the people that work in the hangar are like, um, so we have to go now. So <laughs> say goodbye. And she's like crying and sobbing to this plane and they're, they all look extremely uncomfortable. Like, okay. So, um, <laughs> Like, maybe but, we shouldn't have encouraged this. Yes. So she said that this time in the hangar, um, when she finally got to meet and kiss this plane, was the most beautiful moment of my life. And when I was with him, we enjoyed our time together. We kissed and I caressed him. She said, I plan to move into the hangar one day. And my biggest <laughs> dream is to be with Schatz and to live with him. I don't know how the people that work at the airport might feel about that. Right? I'm like, uh, you're going to have to. Yeah. She said, <sighs> I also want to marry him in the hangar and spend the whole night with him. I wouldn't want to put on a white dress, but dress really smartly with black trousers and a black blazer. That's pretty cool. Uh, but she said she has plans to meet the plane again. Well, so this article was written in, in January, but she, her plan was to meet the plane again in Amsterdam on March 18th, 2020 for the wedding. So I think they might've had to postpone their oh, wedding yeah, due to COVID. Man, just another COVID couple. Another COVID couple. Yep. While her family and friends have, uh, most of her family and friends have accepted that she's in a relationship. I mean, for six years, like, you kind of just have to accept it at some point, <laughs> but apparently Michelle's family are just not interested in meeting this plane. They, they just don't feel the need. <laughs> they don't feel the need. Michelle has actually only managed to see this plane or meet her, uh, what they call her mechanical lover. Uh, she's only managed to meet her mechanical lover twice. And when she, so she, because she can't be close to the big plane because it's a 40-ton jet, she cradles some of its components in bed at night is what they said. And I was able to look up that she has actual pieces of the plane she is a spoiler a flap track fairing i don't know what that is mm -hmm. um and a tank valve and then she also has a made a mod a five foot two long model of the airplane that she sleeps with every night yeah cool. uh-huh uh she jen i'm worried for this woman she said i want to have someone marry us and say do you want to marry your 737 800 and i say yes and we kiss and then i'm immortalized with him and we can be together forever so we've talked about this kind of love before this is what's known as uh objectophilia when someone uh -huh. is sexually or romantic 
romantically attracted to an inanimate object. And while she says that that to her, and, and she says to her that this is a normal relationship, that um, their relationship is very normal, that they just have relaxing evenings together. And um, when they go to bed, they cuddle and fall asleep together. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, you just said you only met this plane two times. So are you Right, so when lying? is this happening? Yeah. So she says that she first fell She's in like, love. She's like, it's a Canadian plane. Yeah. You guys wouldn't, have, you guys wouldn't know him. <laughs> you don't know. He lives in Canada. Uh, but <laughs> she said that she first realized that she had a weakness for airplanes, specifically when she took her first flight in November of 2013. She said, when I touch his wings, I immediately get sweaty palms and get excited. I wish it were more accepted in society. There are always people who don't accept it. I'm I'm simply different and I stand for my love to my 737. Normally, yes, we are all for there are all different kinds of love out there. Mm-hmm. And you know, and she's not hurting anybody, so go for it. That's fine. But yeah. I do want to mention that when I tried to look up this woman, because I wanted to know more information, obviously, about this special relationship, uh-huh. um, it, all these articles from 2013 came up when she w- had was in the Guinness uh, – She, I think she was in the Guinness Book of World Records or she was found as having um, the world's smallest waist. She started using corsets and she shrunk her like 25 20- five inch waist down to a 16 inch waist by wearing these like crazy, crazy corsets. And she, her goal was to get it down to a 14 inch waist. So there's all these pictures of her as of of being like the world's smallest wasted woman. And these, Uh uh, this like, it looks so painful, this corset. Like it is just like sucking the life out of her. And, and and in the pictures with the airplane, it looks like she's like gotten back her normal waist and she's no yeah. longer this like crazy small waist. But I think that Michelle might have more of an issue with um, attention. Attention. Yes. Yeah. Or maybe just sanity. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I know. That's why I hate it. I'm like, I want to laugh because it's ridiculous, but also I worry for her. Uh, I'm glad she has, like, family. Yeah. And uh, and I'm glad, you know, that the object of her obsession is inanimate because yeah. it would probably be pretty um, pretty hard if you were a person. And as long as she's happy, that's all that matters. But I am that's willing to bet that if we check in with Michelle in a few years, we're going to see some something else. it's gonna be something else let's Uh, check back in yeah and best of luck to michelle and her 737 best Best of of luck luck. (laughs) dumb love wishes you best of luck we wish you the best hey jen hey sally you ready for a crazy story yes all right i got one for you today okay I got. you did your job. You did what you said you were going to do. You know what? I aim to please. <laughs> I right under the wire. I <laughs> kept texting Jen like, can you give me just like 10 more minutes? Like maybe like 10 more minutes? And I Dude. I am not ready. But Take all the time. 
I think this is a good story. I've actually looked at this a couple times, um, but now I finally, finally got into it and found some good sources for it. So my information comes from a dateline, see from the Herald Tribune and a bunch of stories in Jacksonville.com by Richard Pryor. No relation. Spelled P-R-I-O-R. Okay. So Quinn and Reed Gray were married in the year 2000. She was a nurse and he was trying to start his own business and they struggled for a bit. Um, he had a couple of failed business ventures, but by 2009, they had what most people would think as a very enviable life. Uh, Reed owned a health services company and was making over a million dollars a year. They lived in a $4.2 million oceanfront home in Ponte Vedre, Florida. They had two gorgeous little girls who were eight and six, and 37-year-old Quinn now stayed home um, to care for the girls. And everybody said she was very kind, that she was a great mother. But then on September 4th of 2009, which was Labor Day weekend, something horrible happened. Reed Gray got two short and very frantic phone calls from his wife saying that she had been abducted at gunpoint. And she told him a tracking device was hidden in his car to assure that he would keep moving and following directions. And Reed said that his wife had told them, if you tell the police, they'll shoot me dead. And she went on to describe the kidnappers as Albanian. So there were three of them. Said they were asking for $50,000 to pay back money that Reed had borrowed from a loan shark. And when Reed got home, he found a note that was in Quinn's handwriting that said, there are three men holding me right now. They want $50,000 in cash. Do not do anything stupid. No cops. But Reed didn't know what else to do. So he contacted the sheriff's office who involved the FBI, and they quickly set up a command center for the investigation. One of the investigators kind of described Quinn as, they were like, I don't want to say like a perfect victim like kidnapping victim but Mm -hmm. you know but she kind of was she was home you know a lot and she was a very they were very wealthy so so crime scene techs um swept through their home and they were looking for any kind of evidence but beyond the note they didn't find anything that helped they were looking for tire tracks or fingerprints but they couldn't find anything so reed went and picked up their two little girls from school and took them to a friend's house so they wouldn't have to know what was going on and then he went to the sheriff's office to wait for news from Quinn. They questioned him, asking him about the loan shark, but he insisted that he had never borrowed money, saying that he made almost $2 million that year. And he was like, why would it make sense for me to borrow $50,000 from someone? I have more than that in my bank account, uh-huh. which they checked and he did. So early the next morning, which was Saturday, Reed got a call from Quinn. She quickly got off the phone. She was crying and said, I'll call you right back. And then 45 minutes later, she called again. She's still frantic, and she's giving him directions to a location. And police scrambled to get in place and to get together the money. But then she called again 30 minutes later, giving him a direction to a different location for the money drop, uh, the parking lot of Chick-fil-A. And so police and undercover cars get in place at the restaurant, but before Reed could even leave to take the money, Quinn called again and said that the abductors had spotted three um, undercover cars in the parking lot, and so they were taking her somewhere else. She was crying, and she said, they'll give you more instructions later, and then the line went dead. So 
that day at like 2 a.m. actually that that night, Saturday night, Quinn's mother, Gail Sykes, arrived at their house. And she lived in Georgia and she got down to Florida. And it had now been 12 hours since they heard from Quinn or the kidnappers. And they were all really scared because they had messed up this drop. And so now they're like, what has happened to her? They kept saying they might hurt her if thing if they didn't follow directions. So they were worried that something had happened to Quinn. So the investigators decided to have Gail send Quinn text messages, hoping to uh, provoke a response from the kidnappers. So like every 20 minutes to an hour, Gail would send a message um, to Quinn's phone saying, I love you. I need to hear from you. Please call me. Let me know you're safe. She said she wanted the kidnappers to see Quinn as a mother and a daughter. And right. So, you know, just humanizing her. And so – Finally, at 9.30 a.m., a text came back to Gail's phone that said, have the money ready and be ready to leave at 11 a.m. Don't have Reed anywhere. If he's there, she's dead. So they sent another text and they directed her to this porta potty at a beach parking lot. And in there, they found a note, which I'm like, it's just the grossest place. Um, Gross. And the note, which was in Quinn's handwriting, said – Anything goes wrong, I'm dead. Any of them run into any issues, it's over for me, mom. I love you. And the note told Gail to go drop the money in the bushes at a nearby Joe's Crab Shack. Oh, my God. How scary. I know. Grab Not Joe's the Crab, crab Shack. shack. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever eaten there? Gross. <laughs> no. Um So Gail did as she was told, um, and then within 10 minutes of leaving the money, a car shows up with three young men, and they pull up to the bag, and one gets out, he looks around, he grabs the bag, and he throws it in the back of his car. So they leave the parking lot, and investigators follow, thinking that they are going to lead them to Quinn, and that these are the three Albanians that she described. Mm Mm-hmm. But then they see the car stop in a parking lot, and it is met by a local Jacksonville police car, and the Jacksonville police were not involved in the case. Like, this was now an FBI thing Mm -hmm. um, and the sheriff's office. So it turned out that these were just three college students from Georgia who had stumbled onto the bag, and then one was like, wouldn't it be funny if there was, like, a bunch of money in there? Oh, my God. And then they saw that they were being followed, which also makes me, like, you guys really can't be undercover. <laughs> like, um, and so they worried that they were, they were like, we we're like, and we just stumbled into the middle of a drug deal. So they called 911 to turn over the bag. And that's why the cops were there to meet them to take the money. So that was like I'm a glad total that they dead were end. Smart enough to do that. And it didn't turn into like a right, like a shootout or yeah. yeah. Um Ugh. I know. So you know, so now they have – there's been three attempts at a ransom drop. They've gone wrong. So the kidnappers call back, and for the first time, it's not Quinn on the phone. It's a male voice, and he's yelling. He's telling them, you know, you you fucked this up, and he's demanding they go to the bank and get more money. Um, the problem is that it's Sunday, and Monday is a holiday, so they, like, literally can't go to the bank. Um, but they're like, we can get the money together. Um, but he's only calling Gail. So he calls um, on one on one phone call with Gail where he's not getting, like, answers that he wants. He says, did you hear that pop? That was my gun. And she starts, like, screaming and crying about Quinn. And he's like, she's fine, but she won't be if I don't get this money. He then sends her a photo of Quinn who's looking very disheveled and, like, she's been crying. 
But the investigators were like, this is a good thing because it was taken on an iPhone and they were like, we can find the GPS the coordinates. coordinates. Yeah. yeah. So they rush immediately to the location where the phone or the picture was taken, but no one was there. So then the kidnapper calls later again that night with a drop location and time. But when they go to drop off the money, the kidnappers never show up. And then that same night, the story broke in the press. And the kidnappers have been very adamant that there be no press or no police involved. So they had like tried to keep it out of the press. But then when it broke in the news, the kidnapper saw it and sent an angry text to Quinn's mom saying, why is she in the news? And at this point, the police are texting and saying, listen, no one's been hurt. If you just drop Quinn off, you can walk away from this. Um and that was the last thing they heard until – so that was Sunday night. And that's the last thing they heard until Monday evening uh. when Gail gets another phone call. And police are – she's at the police station and police can only hear the Gail her side. side. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they hear her – she's hysterical. You can actually hear this on the Dateline episode. But she's like, Quinn, Quinn, have they hurt you? Quinn, what's happening? What are you saying? And she says on the other side, Quinn is just incoherent. She oh can't tell what she's saying at all. But then the police are alerted that Quinn has made another phone call, this one to a 911 operator. She identified herself and said, I'm Quinn Gray. I've been kidnapped. But she had been let go by her captors. <gasps> and so she was found wandering around in the parking lot of a mall, and she was carrying a shredded Coke can and wearing a torn shirt and dirty shorts. So police went and got her um, with her mother, and they asked her, about her ordeal, to get any clues about her abductors. And at, in that interview, she's just like super scattered and semi-hysterical. And she's like kind of defensive and combative with police. And she tells them in that interview that she actually believes it's her husband who wanted her dead. <gasps> and she says, why else wouldn't he just pay the ransom right away? And police are pretty interested in the statement because they had had their suspicions about Reed Gray from the beginning. Oh, my God. So the first thing Reed asked when Sheriff questioned him on that very first day was he asked, like, is the media involved in this? And they were like, that's kind of a weird thing to ask when your wife has just said she's been abducted. Mm-hmm. Um, and police questioned him, like, basically from start, like, over the two days, they questioned him, like, the whole time that she was gone. And in that time, Reed admitted that he had had affairs and <gasps> so had Quinn. Oh. And he said that recently Quinn had come home very late. He was she was drunk, and that he had found her underwear and her purse, and he had threatened her with divorce if she didn't come clean. But he also said that they were in a good place now, that they had like gotten over it. And Quinn's mom, Gail, also believed that Reed might have something to do with the kidnapping. And she even confronted Reed while Quinn was still missing, saying that she thought he might have killed her in order to avoid paying for a divorce and a custody suit. So so police gave uh, Reed a lie detector test, and he passed it. And the FBI started doing a background check and investigating, but no matter how much they dug, they couldn't find any evidence that he was involved. So by the time Quinn was back, he was not a suspect. And so Quinn ended up going home back to her house that night and she went with Reed. And when she came back later that day to talk, she came back the next day to talk with police, she was much more coherent and calm. And she actually said that her captor had told her over and over that her husband wanted her dead 
And that by the time she was released, she was so traumatized and sleep deprived that she was like brainwashed into believing him. And so she sat down to tell the police everything that she knew about her abduction. She told police uh, that she had been forced to have sex with her captor um, and that she had gone along with it so that in hopes that if she thought, if he thought that she was enjoying it, that it would, um, that she would be released. Mm -hmm. Um, She said she only ever saw one man that she had been bound with zip ties and they found, they took pictures of um, her wrist and she had marks on her wrists and she had been kept in a warehouse and then moved to a hotel. She told him that the kidnapper had brought them chicken from the specific uh, chicken restaurant, a local chicken restaurant, and that had grown. He had grown increasingly scared when the money drops didn't work, and she gave them a description of her captor. So that, like the chicken restaurant detail, actually proved to be useful because police found surveillance footage of a man who matched Quinn's description of her kidnapper. They were able to get a picture from that surveillance footage of his face, and they released that photo to the public. Wow. So then two days later, a call comes into 911, and the man on the line says his name is Jasmine Osmanovich, and that it's his photo that the police have released. And he says, I have no idea who Quinn Gray is. I had nothing to do with this kidnapping. So police ask him to come in, and he does – And he waives his right to remain silent and to a lawyer. He was a 25-year-old Bosnian immigrant. He was college educated. He was from a good family. He had a job, um, owned his own mechanic shop. And he had denied, again, knowing Quinn. He looked at her picture. He said, I don't know this woman. He said he had been with a woman he had met at a bar um, the night that she had been abducted. And But as police continued to question him, his story started to shift. Uh-oh. So, yeah, after like eight hours of questioning and they're putting pressure and they're like, we know you know her. She knows you. She's identified you, which she hadn't. But they're like, you know, just trying to get him to admit anything. Right. He finally admits that he might know Quinn. And he starts talking. And that's when the whole story came out. The whole kidnapping was a hoax. Oh, man. So Jen, Quinn was in on it the whole time. She gone-girled her husband. She gone-girled her husband. Holy fuck. So Jasmine and Quinn had met by chance at a gas station a few months earlier, and then he saw her again on the beach, and the two hit it off and began an affair. So they would have sex at her house and at his mechanic shop, and she would talk about her marriage and how horrible it was and that Jasmine said the whole thing was Quinn's idea. And he said he could prove it because he had an audio tape that he had secretly made of the two having sex, (gasps) planning the kidnapping and joking around about making the marks on Quinn's hands where she said she had been bound with the zip ties. Oh my God. This is smart of him to record all of that. Yeah. He easily could have like what she was planning on doing was turning on him. Yeah. So she had, by the time that he had called the called 911, she had actually given them the location of his um, mechanic shop where she said she had been held. She said she had, they had been driving around and she found it. And so she was basically like handing him over. So the night of the kidnapping, the two had stayed at his shop, and then the next day after the botched ransom drop had moved to the motel, and the clerk there confirmed that the two checked in together, acted like boyfriend-girlfriend. She'd even stayed in the car while Jasmine had 
checked in and then walked in hand in hand. And the clerk said that Quinn had moved freely during the two-day stay. So both Jasmine and Quinn were arrested and charged with extortion. (gasps) Quinn was sent to a psychiatric facility and Jasmine was sent to jail. Her lawyers said that, yes, she was brainwashed, but that the kidnapping was not fake. So they both ended up actually settling. So Jasmine settled first. He pled guilty to an extortion charge and was ordered to pay a $43,000 fine to the St. John's County's Sheriff's Office for the cost of the investigation. Wow. And he was sentenced to six years probation. And then Quinn pled no contest to a charge of threats or extortion and was sentenced to seven years probation. She was also ordered not to drink during her probation at all because it turns out that Quinn was an alcoholic. Um, So, And she also was ordered to pay the other half of the $43,000 to the sheriff's office. And actually, from the time that she was brought back to the time that she was fenced, Reed Gray actually publicly stood by her through all of it. Wow. He said, I love my family and I will do whatever I can to make sure that Quinn receives all the help and support she needs. Oh, but so then, he was like admitting that she lied and need, but yes. needed like psychiatric help. Yes. But okay. she, he did not, but he stayed with her and he was like at all of her hearings. Wow. Uh, but then very soon after she was sentenced, he filed for divorce. In October 2011, Quinn, who now went by Quinn Hannah, after she and her husband divorced, was accused of violating her probation. Her probation officer basically said she's never taken any responsibility for what she did. Part of her probation was that she wasn't allowed to talk about the case, and but she had given a statement to Dateline. She actually wasn't, nothing happened for those violations. But then in 2013, she married a man named Daryl Conrad, who actually turned out to be something of a con artist himself. But then that marriage, yeah, that only lasted three years before they got divorced. And according to social media posts, she still lives in Jacksonville Beach. She's sober and now a yoga teacher. She posts a ton of pictures of her girls who are now teenagers and her surfer boyfriend. And wow. that's kind of just living her life. She's still in Jacksonville and God. Yeah. That's crazy. Like I, I feel so bad for her mother. I know. Just I know. I can't imagine. I wonder how her mom feels about it, knowing that I wonder if she believes Quinn or not. Did they say? They don't say, I think, I mean, I don't know that Quinn ever, she, I mean, she pled no contest, which basically means like, I'm guilty, but I'm not saying I'm guilty. Right. Um, And her mom was in the Dateline episode giving, like, talking about all of it. Hmm. But she, they didn't ever talk about what happened after. But yeah. it's got to be so crazy because her, you know, she was like calling her mom and and pretending to be like, scared and just yeah. i mean it's like i don't know how you don't be super resentful of that i mean unless they are just like she obviously had mental health issues she yeah. was an alcoholic and whatever so i don't know but it's it's so crazy it I made know. me i actually found this story the same time i found that the one about the i can't remember their names but the woman who was abducted and then the police didn't believe her right Mm -hmm. and then i found this one and i was like oh well this is like the flip of that you know yeah yeah i guess i just feel so bad for her mom and for her husband who was treated like he was 
Yeah. It was he was at fault when this was being done to him. So Right. Dirty dirty. Dirty dirty. Dirty dirty Quan. I know. Hey Sally. Hey Jen. Are you ready for a love story? I am ready for a love story. Okay. I say it like that because I'm gonna tell you this is a tearjerker. Jen, this is uh, it's. I've been practicing how I'm gonna like even read this story. <laughs> no, but um, it's so it's. I'm the kind of. There's a lot of people like me out there. A, a lot of people are the same way in the sense that like they can read things about people all day long, but then when it has to do with animals, it's like too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and so um. This is a love story write-in by my beautiful friend, Jess Benoit, who lives in Michigan. It's a Hello, story. Jess. Hello, Jess. And it's about her um, love for her, her sweet dog, Moose, and when it's time to say goodbye. Yeah. And um, I know. And so, and like, this is a, I feel like this is, so don't listen, you guys, if this is going to make you cry, or maybe... Listen, if it's someone who needs to hear it, just because I have it's so many friends right now going through this situation. Um, my good friend Kristen is struggling with when's the right time to put down their family dog, Frosty, who we love so much. Aww. And um, and then our friend Ian just lost his dog, Rocco. This is just a tribute to all my friends and their pets. But Julie lost Rudy. Anna, I know you lost sweet sherman my sister if you're listening i know when she had to say um goodbye to her dog sammy and brutus and you know we said goodbye to miles just a couple months ago yeah so it's like i feel like every like everyone that has pets can identify with this and um i feel like I don't know if it's just an additional fuck you through the universe (laughs) in the quarantine (laughs) but i feel like it's all (laughs) happening right now just let us have our fucking pets, please. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so here's um, a beautiful letter written by my friend Jess. Hi, friends. I wanted to contribute and share a love story of sorts. Moose was our beloved family golden retriever. Johnny, who's her husband, um, surprised me with him on our first anniversary in 2007. He was everything you'd ever want in a furry best friend. Faithful, loving, gentle, goofy, friendly, and loyal, just to name a few. Moose spent seven years with us before we welcomed our first child, and he adapted well as a big brother. He put up with a lot once kids joined our family, and I can totally relate to that because we had our dogs way before we had kids and our poor, poor dogs because now they're like, what is this? <laughs> Who are these people? And why do you care about them more than me? <laughs> so um, you just let them shit all over me. <laughs> like, why do they keep pulling my tail? I know. But she said, as the years passed, like most big dogs, our boy started to slow down. Instead of heading upstairs with us for bedtime, he stayed downstairs all night. Instead of jumping into the car, he hesitated and waited for us to help him. He could no longer run and chase his toys without days of pain afterwards. It was obvious Pony Boy, as they call him, um, as she said, as we affectionately called him, was hurting. All the supplements, medications, vet visits, and most importantly, love couldn't stop the arthritis from deteriorating our sweet pony. Jeez. Uh, by the end of 2020, we were faced with an impossible decision. So this happened recently, and I, I was on, you know, 
texting back and forth with her about it before because um, we had just put down miles and she has kids and she's like, how do we do this? You know? And she said, um, but so by the end of June, 2020, we were faced with an impossible decision. How was I supposed to do this? My boy was mentally and emotionally the same moves. Wasn't there anything we could do for him? Why wasn't the medication giving us more time? Why was he getting worse when we were taking such good care of him? I hated that I had to be that we had to be the ones to make this decision. Where were yeah. my parents? They were <laughs> the ones that used to do this for us. How do we get here? I don't want to do and you know and she says I don't want to have to do this. Like was this the best for him? What if it wasn't? What if the vet was wrong? What if he didn't want to leave us? What if he was scared? Um what if this would just correct itself and he get better and you know what if he thinks they gave up on him? And these are all things that you do have to ask yourself. Yeah. Um, but the 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 thing is pets get old. <laughs> you know, and it's it's like it's hard but it, it happens. And that's right. just life. It's a circle of life. Moose lived a beautiful life. He loved pretending to be a lap dog. He loved car rides. He loved long walks. And he loved playing with his tennis balls. Sorry. We said goodbye to him on July 7th, 2020. Just. Sorry. <laughs> oh. Say something funny. Oh, man. I, can't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what the heck? so bad. Okay. Okay. We said goodbye to him on July 7th, 2020, just two weeks after his 13th birthday. Sometime during the last few months of Moose's life, I saw a post on Instagram about a man who had lost his dog. His dog had passed away. Mm-hmm. And to memorialize him, he had set up a basket of tennis balls for the neighborhood dogs to take. I remember thinking, gosh, what a sweet idea. A few days after Moose's death, I decided to put together one of these baskets. I knew my girls would love checking on it every day, and I figured it was a nice way to pay it forward and honor our boy. I had no idea we'd receive so much love in return. The next Aww. morning, my girls woke up to check on the balls, and they found flowers in the basket with a sweet note. And it didn't stop there. In the days and weeks to come, more flowers, more notes, more cards, even gifts were left in the basket. I couldn't... Um, Whew, sorry, I couldn't believe the kindness displayed by mostly strangers. People would stop and talk to us about their own pets and pets that they've also had to say goodbye to. This small something that was intended to just bring a smile to our faces and hopefully to a few neighborhood dogs had just exploded into this beautiful message of love and kindness. And she said, I think it's important to remember these acts of love, especially with the current state of our unrest and division in our country. And she wrote, uh, (laughs) I feel you, Jess. I feel you. Um, So she said that, side note, I wanted to share the story, not boast about doing something nice, but rather give credit to our neighbors who really do not know us, but gave us an outpouring of love. To also share the idea to others who may want to do this too. Again, I got the idea from somebody else. This was not my original idea. And I I just can't stop talking about my sweet boy. I love him so much. And it still hurts to think he won't come. Sorry. (laughs) No. (laughs) Come rest his head on my knee. Um, And she also told me that she wanted to mention that Chewy.com, and this is just a plug for (laughs) Um, Chewy.com, Chewy.com had sent them flowers too because she had to call to cancel their 
auto membership yeah. for Moose's medication. And um, a woman named Antoinette talked to her and was the sweetest person ever. And the next day, flowers were delivered to her door. Oh, wow. I know. It's just incredible customer service. Chewy.com. <laughs> and so she said, thank you for reading about my Moosey. Um, love, Jess. So I know – I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of tears in this, and this is a hard story to hear. Um, and I hope that it brings – I hope that that idea of putting a basket of tennis balls out might be, you know, something that people that are having to face this in the future that might be a nice idea. Yeah. Um, but um, I also wanted to add – that since she wrote this letter, she and her family have adopted two beautiful English Labrador puppies. <laughs> They're so <laughs> cute. I think yeah. they went to get one and they left with two, one for right. each of her <laughs> her little girls. Her little girls look so cute. Um, and their names are Weller and Mash. One is like a golden at lab and one's like a chocolate and with just the most beautiful eyes. So I've like been so happy to see all of her posts of her girls just so happy and snuggling up with the puppies and you know re- they're remembering moose but they're also still moving forward and yeah and finding happiness again so yeah and I bet that doing the tennis balls it's like you know I I mean I know I am not I don't have pets so I'm I know I have been on record as saying that I don't like animals but it's not that I don't like animals it's just that like you just I, don't like them for you just for me <laughs> yes that's exactly right <laughs> Cute, like cut to like a year from now when we have a puppy but um oh. I I do think you know it's really hard when you lose a pet because it's you know you don't get the same sympathy or you know it's hard you don't want to make such a big deal about or you feel like weird about it and so having like doing the balls and having um, people respond in that way it like really marks to say like yes this was a significant life yeah and this was something like this was an important pet in your life and like the loss of it is is significant and that other people recognize it and I I hate to compare it to talking about a miscarriage but it feels kind of the same way and until you put it out there that like this has happened to me like all of a sudden you get, you know, people coming back at you being like, thank you for talking about it. I've had that pain too. And there's something yeah. about sharing your pain and your loss with other people that's so cathartic. And I think probably really has helped them move on. And, and I mean, of course, puppies help everything. Yeah. I always just need some puppies. We call yeah. me and uh, Louise, my daughter, we call it puppy surfing. We go on Pinterest and we type in puppies. Yeah. And then we just like look at puppies. <laughs> like whenever we don't, we're sad. I'm going to puppy surf right after this. <laughs> hey, you want to go puppy surfing? Jess, thank you for writing. I hope I got through it okay. I knew I was going to cry during I knew I was going to, but I cried <laughs> less than I thought I was going to. <laughs> so there's that. Jess, I love you so much. And all my beautiful friends who are going through the same thing or have recently gone through the same thing, I love you too. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. It was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It even yeah. made my cold, dead heart beat. Care about animals just a little, Sally? Do you care even a little now? I guess I care a little. Okay. <laughs> Good. So should we get into something dumb and something we love? 
Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. So my something dumb is just silly. <laughs> okay. So it was Ben's birthday yesterday and I love him and I love his birthday. I love celebrating birthdays because I just feel like everybody I should have a birthday. <laughs> I feel like everybody should have a birthday. Everybody and if you don't have, have a birthday, <laughs> no, I just, you know, it's like, hey, everybody should have a special day. And I like celebrating the people I love. And but I realize I'm like, we have been together a really long time because in the morning I like ordered bagels and then we did presents and Max was so cute. He was so excited. And I took him to the driving range because he loves golf and and then we, you know, made a cake and all that. So and then I get home and Facebook gives me, you know, here's what you were doing five years ago on this day. Here's what you were doing 10 years ago. And of course, it's always Ben's birthday. So I'm always posting out Ben's birthday. And it uh-huh. turns out maybe three or four of the last 15 years, I have taken him to the driving range on his birthday. And I didn't you even original bastard. <laughs> I have no new ideas. I was like, I'm so sorry. Hey, my, he likes what he likes. My other idea was a hike, which apparently that's what we were doing on the other times. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take him to the driving range. So if anybody has any great ideas for what to do special for a spouse for their birthday, send them on over cuz I could really use oh, a shake. Oh, you're going to get some uh you're going to get some suggestions <laughs> that are not dirty you guys. I'm sure you will. <laughs> what do you got? Uh, all right. So I guess um some, I'm going to do one dumb thing and two good things because I need to uh, end on a good note um, after crying so much. Okay, so one dumb thing that is obviously happening right now is um, a lot of people are um, homeless and unable to find where their next meal is going to be. And something that I love is that fi- I found this organization today just this morning, I was on um, this like vegan Atlanta group thing for Facebook because I like to find out where all the new cool spots are. Yeah. And um, there was this woman and her name is Aisha Robinson. And she started this organization called um, Five Loaves Atlanta, where she, her and her family go and they make plant-based meals. Uh-huh. And then they also package together like basic hygiene, uh, hygiene essential socks and blankets and clothes. And then they deliver it to people in Atlanta throughout the community that are homeless. That's awesome. And yeah, and it's really great. And she's actually so they've served over three thousand meals already. And she is putting money together, and there is a GoFundMe for it. Um, you could find it on their website, Five Loves Atlanta, where she is currently putting together a food truck. And the food truck will then go drive around delivering free meals to people that are in need. Amazing. I'm going to go donate right now. That's so awesome. Um, And then the other something I love is that um, one of our listeners on Instagram pals, um, pfirsh77, Mm -hmm. sent us a link to this Showtime show called The Love Fraud because they knew we would like it. And- Holy shit, I do. Oh my God. It's like, so there's, I think I'm two episodes in, but it's about this man that has like serial married, like literally married them over, I think like 30 plus women uh-huh. and taken all their money and then ran. So he's a, like a true polygamist. Like he doesn't like marry them, divorce them, take their money. He just marries them, 
cleans clear cleans out their bank account disappears then finds a woman marries her clears out her bank account disappears he starts businesses with them and then disappears and so now there is like a band of women who he's wronged all together and they hired this female bounty hunter who's badass okay. and they're and they're like trying to um track him down amazing I know. So check it out. It's called Thank You P First Seven Seven. Appreciate yeah. it. Um, so good. It's called Love Fra- Fraud on Showtime, and it's everything dumb love could have ever dreamed of. So I love it. I can't wait to watch yeah. it. So good. Amazing, um, man. Okay. Well, good episode, dude. Yeah, man. We did. We I mean, got- we had laughs. We had cries. We were up and down and this way and that. <laughs> And now we're going to go back to our humdrum lives. Yep. Um, so, guys, find us on Patreon, which uh, if you don't know, Patreon is where you can come over. You can subscribe at a different level and you pay basically like either 3 6 or $10 a month and you get extra content. So if you are interested in that, you can find us patreon.com, Dumb Love Podcast. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Dumb Love Podcast, and you can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Thanks so much, guys, and uh, get out there safely, social distantly, and do something dumb for love.